welcome to our first GCP short of 2020 on the topic of creative uses for captives. Our three expert speakers today are Oliver Schofield, managing partner at Risks, Damien McNamara, consultant and advisor for captives, ILS and MGAs at Risks, and Glenn Ellis, a consultant to Risks and formerly Risk and Insurance Manager at BT, as well as holding roles at Zurich and most recently AIG. You can find short biographies of our free speakers in this episode description, and you can also find out more about Risks, one of our friends of the podcast for the year at risks.org. That's R-I-S-C-S dot org. First of all, Ollie, it is unlikely to be news to anyone that we are in the midst of a fast hardening market, not just on pricing, but unavailability of cover, smaller limits, uh, and some pretty late decision making, and I think poor communication from insurers and brokers as well. So, Ollie, the question first off is how does the role of a captive change in this hardening market? I think initially we should consider the context of the hardening market and I, I often compare it to the uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse we have the four horsemen of the hardening market which some of which you mentioned um, pressure is being brought upon rates pressure is being brought upon deductibles on breadth of cover and on the limits that are available to corporations to buy the impact really is being felt across the world um, across pretty much every line of cover that you would care to consider and also across every single market. What we're seeing is that regardless of whether or not an insured has suffered any losses, they are being put under pressure from one of these four or maybe all four of those areas. Late decision making is an absolute nightmare for any risk manager or finance director as they simply won't have a clue as to what their pricing is going to be for the following 12 month period, perhaps up until literally minutes before expiry. Really, we see captives as being able to play a substantial role in bringing stability to the whole renewal process, stability in terms of timing, in contract certainty, in pricing, uh, in breadth of cover, and all of the other areas that are currently under pressure. That stability is something that we know from many years of working with captives is indispensable and invaluable to anybody who has to make a decision regarding financing, pricing um, or risk management. So, Ollie, you touched upon those instabilities of the hardening market or the changing insurance market. How can the captive be used then to minimise or mitigate against those instabilities? I think the first thing that a captive needs to understand is that in this changed market, renewal strategies and timelines have stretched out far beyond where they were previously. I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that a captive should really consider what their renewal programme is going to look like six months prior to the renewal kicking in. I appreciate, of course, that over that six-month period, market dynamics changed dramatically. However, if you already have a strategy in place, then that strategy can actually be tactically adjusted as you get closer to the renewal date. To be able to determine what that strategy should be, I think it is important that captives consider putting together a strategic feasibility review to determine what the most appropriate actions will be. There are five key steps that I think need to be undertaken for a captive to be able to truly realise its potential in this changing market. 
The first one is to understand what the possibilities might be for an increased participation by the captive across the main heads of cover. So they need to think about, could we take an increased per occurrence retention? Could we withstand an increased annual aggregate retention? Secondly, they need to consider the relevance of the breadth of cover that they enjoyed perhaps in their last, um, their last policy period. Now is the opportunity to take a long, hard look at the expiring breadth of cover and start to eliminate coverage items that were included when the market was, in, was soft but have little value to them at this stage. Or, if they consider they do have value but the economic price that is attached to them by the market is not viable for them as a business, look to use a captive to capture the premium from those lines of cover to enable the captive then to be able to provide that cover to their parent. These will obviously have to be paid for and they'll have to be charged into the captive, but that allows the captive then to build sufficient cash flow to be able to pay for those losses. So the provision of this broader cover from the captive to its parent cover that is broader than the excess markets are prepared to offer will mean that the captive can ensure that the parent maintains the cover status quo and can actually and can capture that premium flow into the captive for this DIC cover. The third thing is to consider the limits that are being purchased by the parent company. Typically in the soft market limits are given away. I'm not talking about necessarily the full value limits on a property program but I'm talking about some of the other limits that are included within the sublimits for certain locations or certain geographies or certain uh, natural catastrophe exposures. Sometimes these limits are actually redundant to an organisation but they're just thrown in as part of the overall package. When the market turns they are no longer just thrown in. They will be charged an additional premium. The captive needs to understand, and the parent needs to understand, whether or not these are limits that are actually required. So it is important to check the limit adequacy. So having undertaken the review of, as to what is an appropriate increased participation, what the relevant cover breadth is, and what the relevant limits are, all of that can then feed into the overall rating that is going to be calculated by the reinsurers and will enable the captive then to determine what is an acceptable position for it to take. These three actions become levers that need to be adjusted as the negotiations for the renewal take place. Once people know what the reinsurance rate is going to be based on structure A, those levers can be adjusted as you go through the renewal process so that you can see how much premium is going to be required by the excess market versus how much premium is going to be required by the stop loss market. Once that's been determined, we can then go to the fifth and final stage. That fifth and fifth and final stage is very much to understand what alternative captive reinsurance solutions might be available in the professional captive reinsurance market. The key to accessing that reinsurance market is to understand what type of portfolio stop-loss captive reinsurance program is going to be available to enable the captive then to bring down its overall net retained exposure to a level that is going to be acceptable to the parent. This arbitrage is something that insurance companies use every single day of the week. And of course, we must remember that a captive is an insurance company. Therefore, not only does it have access to those reinsurance markets, the specialist reinsurance markets, it should also have the ability to access those reinsurance markets as and when it requires during a policy period, not just at annual renewal, but on a spot basis if it suddenly finds that there's an opportunity for it to be able to place its reinsurance in a more effective manner.
Even in this hardening market, it is possible to structure programmes such as portfolio stop losses that are not calculated on a first loss scale basis. They're calculated on a second and subsequent loss scale basis, which means the captive can access capacity that is more attractively priced than the pure traditional excess markets. That, to me, it goes to the very nub of what is a creative use for a captive. Damon, you want to jump in there? I think it was just on the reinsurance side. I think what we've seen recently where at the moment, a lot of reinsurers are becoming more interested in dealing with the captives uh, in a more frequent uh, basis. So there's no reason why risk managers through their brokers or through the captive itself shouldn't just be speaking with with the reinsurers or engaging with reinsurers. And certainly the experience we've had so far is that reinsurers are very keen to do that. So again, if we talk about no excuses, there's no excuses for captors to be not dealing directly with reinsurers at the moment, particularly because they want to be dealing with reinsurers. And that's not to say that you're trying to uh, remove the broker from the uh, from the proposition. The broker is an integral part of the overall proposition. But it is important that the risk manager has the opportunity to discuss the full details of their risk environment directly with the reinsurer. They know their company better than anybody. And therefore, they are a very valuable tool for the broker to have in the whole negotiation process. Clearly, the risk manager is not in the market every single day of the week and therefore doesn't necessarily understand the full nuances of what might be going on in the market at any given time. That's why the broker plays such an important role. However, the broker with the best will in the world will never know as much detail about some of the core and some of the detailed risks that the uh, the organisation faces. So I presume that's increasingly important in a hard market when the captive presumably is playing and a larger role in the program it's probably taking itself on uh, playing a bigger layer itself maybe playing different layers so presumably the captive will benefit hugely from and the reinsurers will benefit hugely from having that visibility of the captive yes i think it's very similar to 2008 2009 when we were coming out of the financial crash or that was just beginning to happen where captives begin to have a more active role particularly in the pi market so again it is an opportunity for the managers to be engaging with the risk managers to be saying, you know, we can do more now. It's at that stage that the managers need to be updating the risk manager on the how the performance of the captive is. The risk manager to be communicating with the board, to getting their approvals to go into the market and take maybe increased layers. Uh, and for the brokers to have the confidence in the captive structure that, that you know, the captive can play a bigger role, whether it's PI, DNO, property, casualty, whatever. Great. Well, Damien's dropped a, a couple of couple of lines there to touch upon. And obviously, the title of this short is Creative Use of Captives, Ollie. So what I'm wondering is, is in a hardly market, um, one of the things I've heard over the last six months is actually, this is actually a tougher time than ever to be more creative in your captive because you're spending so much time on your renewal, you're wasting so much energy, not wasting, but having to spend so much energy on your renewal, getting engagement internally to explain why rates are going up. Is this the right time to get creative or is this the hardest time to get creative? So what opportunities do you think there are now for captives to start thinking or captive owners to start thinking a bit outside the box? I I think the the best time to think about being creative and how captive can be used for traditional and non-traditional risk exposures is always. Um, Just because the market dynamics might have changed does not remove or reduce the capabilities of a captive to be able to provide its parent with all sorts of interesting solutions. So, for example, right now we're working with a client who has had a horrendous renewal process. 
Uh, they've had about a 35 to 40 percent increase in their traditional pricing. Uh, their deductibles have gone up by about 15 percent as well. But what's more important to them is that actually quite a lot of the coverage that they enjoyed in the past has been taken away in terms of the policy, uh, uh, the breadth of policy. So what we're using their capture to do is not only to try and mitigate about against some of those increased costs and those that increased deductible, but also to make sure that the captive can provide a much broader coverage scope to its parent and all, its, all, all the subsidiaries. So that as far as they're concerned in their day-to-day operation and trading, they still have the same level or even enhanced cover than what they used to be able to get from the market. So I don't think it's a, a question of turning the, the alternative use tap off when the market changes. In a way, it's actually gearing the captive up even further to say, well, if the market can't provide this, I'll take it and I'll add on a whole load of additional coverages because I can. Obviously, captives often make good use of fronting carriers. And in a hardening market, of course, fronting carriers are also insurers, reinsurers. So, Glenn, obviously, with your uh, background in fronting, how does a hardening market change the behaviour at or decisions made by fronting carriers? And uh, if they are drastically reducing capital or capacity in a particular line or withdrawing from an industry or class altogether, will they still be available to provide fronting in those in those lines? Well, the, the short answer to the question is yes, they can. I, but I think first it's important to under to understand or determine the overall underwriting op, um, appetite of that company. Often the uh, line of business underwriters and the global fronting teams are, are not, um, shall we say, in tandem as to uh, the objectives of that company. So it's important to understand, is the, ap- is the appetite there from not only the risk transfer point of view, but the fronting uh, servicing point of view as well. Now that being the case, yes, uh, there are and have been examples where underwriters are prepared to um, underwrite lines where normally perhaps the risk transfer would not be available, but in support of a fronting program. And presumably there's going to be, would that mean that there's greater collateral requirements on those kind of lines if the, if the fronter wouldn't normally be underwriting that risk, but they're going to front it for a captive, they're going to probably want some more comfort around the collateral available uh, from the captive. Well, collateral always uh, has been and always will be a contentious area. The, I, I, I would say if we look at this uh, from the point of view of the short tail and long tail, on short tail, generally, there should not be as much concern in terms of collateral. There are some companies are quite prepared to uh, accept parental guarantee on short tail and not a letter of credit. On, on longer tail risks, yes, letters of credit, they uh, present a challenge for the clients as well with stacking, but there are options in the market that uh, fronting insurers are prepared to accept. Um, security trust agreements, for example. Damien, I would have thought that in, in a hardening market, we would probably be seeing fewer options on the fronting side. However, I believe uh, we're starting to see a few more, uh, I think it's the right word, niche players of, of fronting or specialist fronters pop out, maybe wanting to work with captives? Yes, you would think there would be less, but actually I think there's a, there's a number of alternative capital providers who've seen opportunities and and that's that's endemic of the have the wider insurance market so whether it be things like ILS where there's more capital players coming into it so fronters have actually sprung up recently um, there are a number of them doing so more specialized fronters uh, we've seen that obviously there's been the opportunity um, with Brexit for EU operators coming in and, and being providing that facility we've seen a number of entities being set up in the US. So we're seeing challenges to people like State National. So there are opportunities. There are more players coming into the market. 
these players tend to be more sophisticated uh, in that they understand what captives are. They're not scared by them. Um, they've had you know experience with them. And also, what's been interesting, what I've seen, a number of these fronters are also keen to take a share of this risk. So that's that's quite inventive and that's that's quite exciting. So we can only hope that that, that expands and there's become more opportunities. So more capital, more opportunities for profit, more players, probably drives the price down again. So obviously more fronting options, which is which is good. And I guess one of the other questions I wanted to share was regarding uh, quota share structures and how captives could be involved in that. Is that a create? Is that another creative way to make use of not just your fronters but the reinsurance market? It is, and certainly we have seen in the past captives getting involved on a quota share basis. Um, I think there are various things to consider here. Typically, a captive, as we know, will write a, a, a whole layer of a self-insured retention. Um, but what we're seeing, particularly now with capacity withdrawals um, from cer- in certain lines and where we're seeing pricing going to levels that are simply not acceptable to a buyer, then gaps appear in programmes in different layers. That's where captives can play a very important role by actually plugging those gaps. And then if you aggregate all of the exposure that the captive is taking across all of those different layers through its plug- its gap plugging, plus its self-insured retention, it can then buy some form of portfolio stop loss behind it. So it brings it back to a level of net retention that it feels comfortable with. The challenge with um, uh, taking a quota share all the way up a program comes to uh, one of how much capital would be required to support that underwriting at such a high level. Um, Damien, I think you've got some thoughts on that. Well, it was just to say that that's again where the reinsurers come into play. So you, you get that partnership again with reinsurers. If you've got a captive which is plugging holes and gaps, you can then aggregate those together. You can then work with a reinsurer again on that basis. Thank you. So, Ollie, I mean, what would be your final thoughts on this topic of creative use of captives, particularly in this context of a hardening market? What, what would be your kind of takeaway message? My takeaway message is that the captive industry provides a very vibrant and very effective way of enabling risk management departments to successfully navigate their way through this very changing market landscape. However, if a captive is going to be able to successfully implement a program that puts them in control of their program rather than at the behest of the markets. They need to ensure that they bring they, they allow sufficient time to be able to put the appropriate structures together. There is absolutely no point than trying to put together any form of program with weeks to go. They need to be thinking six months ahead of renewal to ensure that the appropriate structures can be built around them. And that would take into consideration increased participation on different layers, ensuring that the breadth of cover is appropriate for them ensuring that they are buying the adequate limits, ensuring that they can therefore drive the acceptable rates to them aligned with their overall net retentions. Well, that's a great way to finish off. I'd just like to say thank you to Ollie, Glenn and Damien for the first of our GCP Shorts.